Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, or or good scary night wherever you're at tonight. Uh, you know, uh, this is a uh, a brand new set of podcasts uh, between me and Red Lanyard Al, and I'm really excited. Uh, this is the Wise Sage talking to you, and dude, we're in Horror Fest, Al. Horror Fest, dude. I've waited all year for Horror Fest to come back. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I've waited all year for Horror Fest as well. Like, it's, uh, I, you know, I don't know, um, you know, who's listening to this. I don't know what all your, uh, you know, what you're, what you're doing with your life right now. Um, but basically, Horror Fest, uh, one of the things that's going on, there's a lot of things going on. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But one of the things going on with Al is Al is just killing it on just offering different articles every day on just you know, right now, I think last week uh, you were doing um, different icons. Like you did Letterface, you did uh, uh, Jason. I th- you did Jason, right? Yep, yep, yep. You yep. did Jason, uh, and then you did Chucky and Norman. Who am I, who am I leaving out? Um, Chucky, Norman Bates, and there was one more. Um, Hi, Baron Elm Street. I did, uh, oh, Freddie. Oh, Freddie. You always leave out Freddie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know how that's that's about as big an icon as you can get, uh, but yeah, they're all they're all fantastic. Uh, basically, everything Al does is very well informed. But uh, in particular, one of the reasons I want to do a set of podcasts with you is because whereas you are, and I'm I'm giving you this title. Okay, this this is your this is a Phantom Correspondent title. I don't know if it's approved by the EIC, but I'm gonna put my foot down and like you know strike if this title's taken from you but you are the horror expert of the phantom correspondence okay uh, so, so i mean so so you get that that's that's you okay that's that's, that's, that's me. That, that, yeah you you have to just accept it i don't think i've ever been more proud to have a title which is, say, <laughs> which is saying well, a lot because i have a graduate degree and i'm a psychologist <laughs> <laughs> well that's so that well that brings into that bring you're actually kind of getting ahead, but that brings into something else. So, you you love horror movies. You love a lot of different horror movies. Uh, like I said, particularly if you if you've kept up with horror fest in the past, uh, you know, uh, Homeboy is all over the place when it comes to horror. Uh, you know, you like the the schlock. You like the high end stuff. You like the American ridiculous. You like the French New Wave. Uh, horror. I mean, you, you're all over the place when it comes to horror. Mm-hmm. So, what's interesting though is that whereas you seem to be a purveyor of just about all things horror, I am much more skeptical of the horror movie genre. Um, I've been drugged uh, to a lot of bad horror movies in my day, um, and I've I've been told by a lot of horror movie hipsters I need to watch stuff, and then I'll just sit there and be like. You know, I'll just sit there and be like, I don't know, man. Audition was basically like an hour and 40 minutes, you know, that led up to five minutes at the end. That was interesting, you know, and then and everybody gets angry at me about that. And so one of the reasons I wanted to discuss things with you, Al, is because you, since you have such a large breadth of horror and a large idea of what horror movies are about and things, and you've seen so many of them, uh, I really think it'd be interesting to have interplay between what I consider my four favorite horror movies, and I'm being broad, in that term, but in what are my four favorite horror movies. And then you just discussing with me about what you think about these horror movies. And, uh, and so first question I want to ask you first, very first question. Okay. You know, like I kind of have my own definition, but I don't think my definition counts. What would you define as a horror movie? Mm, now, now we're getting into it right now. You see, 
Yeah, because because um, like like I said, I've got four movies. At least one of them, maybe two of them, would probably not be defined as a horror movie. Okay, so but I consider them all horrific and scary. <laughs> so so what would you define as a horror movie? Right. Well, I think I think that's a very relevant question to ask right now because in. You can kind of argue that this has been true throughout the history of the genre, but really when it comes down to the last uh, few years, last like five to seven years, I'm going to say, um, really what qualifies as a horror movie and what um, fits the the description or the, or the definition of a horror film has really, I want to say it's changed a lot on on days where I'm not being as generous, I want to say it's it it's lost any kind of actual definition it once had, um, because I've always said, and I've gotten into arguments with people all about this um, on on social media, which is everybody knows the best and most efficient way to have a well thought out argument is those, is you know over a hundred and forty character tweets. But um, I've gotten into arguments uh, with people on social media and in real life when they'll throw out, oh, this was my like favorite horror movie of the last 10 years or whatever. And, you know, I'll take their suggestion at it or I've already seen it to begin with. And I'm just over here very confused because to me, what they describe as their favorite horror movie is is not a horror movie at all. Um, so all that to say... I think there is a distinction um, that falls between what qualifies as horror and what qualifies as something that makes us uncomfortable. And the problem with that is, is that very often those two areas very often become a then diagram and they kind of bleed over into each other but they don't always do that so when you ask me what a horror movie is what the definition of that is to me it kind of has to have two things going for it it has to have a an intention and it has to have an agent or a catalyst or something that carries out that intention throughout the film um so as far as the first part in intention, if I'm sitting down and watching a movie and you ask me, is this a horror movie or not? One of the big things to me is when I'm watching it and by the end of it, do I get the feeling that the filmmaker's intent was to create horror within me? Was their intent to scare me? Um, because being scared can come off as the main intent and it can very often come off as just a byproduct as well. For me, it, that really has to be the central intent of what um, the movie is, is to scare you. Um, the second um, piece of that as well is, is what the catalyst is. Um, I've seen a lot of films and movies that are highly touted as great horror films, um, usually by very uh, pretentious people who don't know what horror films are. Um, and say, oh, this is great, and then I'll sit down and watch it. And it's some kind of avant-garde, kind of surrealist kind of film experience. And I'll watch it, and I'll have the thought of just like, okay, I can tell that their intention was to provoke some kind of some kind of fear 
in me or some kind of discomfort in me. I'll give them that. But throughout the film, I'm not sure what the catalyst was for that. I'm not sure what it was I was supposed to be afraid of. And if I can't trace my fear to something that I experienced in the movie, then it's very difficult for me to say, oh, yeah, this was a great horror film or this was a horror film at all. If I can't tell you what about it um, scared me. And that's the thing. I can get very generous with that. I can get very generous with saying, okay, well, this was obviously some kind of existential horror and I can't like squarely put it into a box, but I can talk about what the mechanisms were and what the catalysts were. A lot of times people will say, oh, Al, you should watch this and I'll watch it. And either I'll come away from the movie saying, I don't think their real intention was to create a horror-based experience, or I'll say the intention was there, but I'm not sure what the real catalyst was. I'm not sure what I was supposed to be afraid of. So those are kind of the two main points for me. So I, I kind of see where you're coming from because I remember a few, few years back Liam Neeson did this movie called The Gray, mm. and uh, and I and I remember telling several people that it was the scariest movie I've ever seen. Um, but I, I remember, but people would watch the movie, but like, I didn't think of that scary. And like, there's a there's qualifiers there. One of the things you brought up was like the one thing that might freak someone else out, you know, isn't going to freak someone like you know mm. anyone out. Um, which is, you know, cause like the gray had like all of the things that would scare me. Like, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of planes. Starts with a plane crash. Uh, one of the only two times in my life where I've thought like where I thought I might die was I got lost in the woods one time and that whole movie is about being lost in the woods. <laughs> and then, you know, you've got the wolves, you've got all this stuff. And so it, it, it really triggered, you know, fear in me. But if people don't have those fears, it doesn't do anything. It's just kind of an intense movie, mm-hmm. um, which is what brings me to, you know, and, and I'm going to ask this. So, like, you were talking about, you know, intention and catalyst, you know, are the two things that I think you intention and then the catalyst of that'll bring that intention about. I think is mm-hmm. I think I'm if I'm saying your your thought yeah. correctly. So give me an example of a movie, preferably not one of the four we've picked, but give me an example of a movie that has that intention and that catalyst all the way through. Okay, sure. Um, So one of the ones that sticks out to me, and I won't go super deep into it because I may turn this into a bonus article or bonus podcast. You never know. Uh, But one of the ones that have always stuck out to me and one that I always bring up when people ask me what my overall favorite horror film is, is is the first American remake, because now there's been two, the first American remake of um, The Grudge. Um, And the reason why I really tout that as being a great horror film is that, one... And obviously it's helped out a bit by the intention argument because it is a remake of a Japanese horror film. Um, You sit down and watch The Grudge. There is no doubt in your mind that the filmmaker's intent is to make you uncomfortable and to scare you, right? That that intention is is rife throughout the film. Um, And also, as, um, as far as the catalysts go, I... And I will argue this probably until the day I die. I think the American remake of The Grudge, it is, it's present in the original Japanese films as well. I think it's just capitalized on a bit more in the first remake. 
is that um, what you are supposed to be afraid of is very present and even in like the the in-between scenes if you will like the lulls between like the big scare scenes even within those time periods of the film what you're supposed to be scared of is unrelenting in its attempt to scare you because uh the grudge is really good because it introduces what the original fear is. And it's just like, oh, there's like this supernatural threat that I can't explain, but it's following me. And that in and of itself is very scary. And that in and of itself works as an agent or as a catalyst for the fear the filmmaker is, tr- is trying to invoke. Uh, but then throughout the film, even in like the lulls in between the really big scare scenes, um, you still have enough imagery and enough tension and the music is, is used just right. And the tone of the film is used just right to where that threat, that threat of horror and that threat of being scared is just constantly in the back of your mind. Um, and so that's kind of an example for me that really nails both um, sides of uh, the t- t- definition I have. Okay. So that actually surprised me. That's your, I've, I, I've never asked you what your, you said that's probably your favorite horror movie. Um, it, it probably is. It's, it's very, he consistently up there when I try to rank them. Yeah. Okay. That, that kind of shocks me, actually. I, uh, I mean, I, I, I always, I thought, I thought it was a very good movie. I might be, uh, that's definitely one that, uh, uh, that stands out that, that, that weird croak <laughs> just stands out, uh, <laughs> really, you know, and I think that's, that, I think that's one thing that makes horror movies, um, or, or that would make a horror movie last is if you can kind of pinpoint uh, what you know what stands out from a pop culture standpoint. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, with someone like so, another Japanese to American remake is The Ring, which I think The Ring is actually a very good movie. I've I've never seen any of the sequels, but the first one I actually think is very good. And the you know uh, crawling through the TV is just such a iconic symbol. Um, and so you know I, I think the I, Horror, horror's iconography is, is is really interesting to look at, and and I think that goes along really well with your your concept of the intention and catalyst, um, because if you do intention and catalyst right, you're going to have some type of iconography that's going to stand out. It's going to make people think. I think that's I think that's as good of a transition as possible to what we're going to talk about tonight, because um, I do think. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a Stanley Kubrick film, so you know there's intention and catalyst for something in a Stanley Kubrick film. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of intention and catalyst into um, into what Stanley Kubrick is trying to do with this film. But here's a question I have for you, Al. Okay, this is this is a question, all right? Because if you were to ask me, you know, what movies scare me, and I'm I'm not trying to act like a tough guy here. Okay. I'm not at all, but for most movies don't scare me because I don't see things that are happening within the movie as overtly scary to me in a personal life. So for example, the screen movies never scared me because I feel like I can take Ghostface. You know what I mean? And so when I'm thinking about a movie, an experience that scares me, why does shining stand out to me? Why does that movie scare me so much? What do you think? Mm. Gotcha. So yeah. So 
you made the observation earlier that um you know there are different types of horror and what might scare one person may have zero effect on another person and vice versa in varying degrees and whatnot um i think the shining is one of it is one of the very few horror movies if we're being honest uh one of the very few that so well utilize so many different types and subtypes of horror that it's coming at you um at so many different angles right um we we talk about you know there has to be intention and there has to be some kind of agent to carry out that intention um it's very obvious early on that Ubrick's intention with adapting The Shining was definitely he to scare his audiences and provoke a fear response within them. But the way he carries it out um, touches on so many different ways to do so. Um, and that's why I, I think it's such an effective film even all these years later. I mean, it's a 40-year-old film. It came out in 1980, and it is still one of the go-to films I've to people when they ask me, hey, I want to watch um, my <laughs> of all of the work I've done in like the mental health field where people are just like, well, I do this. What do you think is going on with me? And it's just like, well, I have to have a lot more information about you to really say. It's kind of the same thing with... <laughs> It's kind of the same thing with horror films. You ask me, you know, I want to watch a movie that will scare me. I'm just like, okay, well, I've got a laundry list of questions I need you to answer about yourself before I can really tell you. But The Shining is so effective at throwing so many different types of horror at you that um, it doesn't take long for you to feel just downright unsettled and on edge because you really don't know what's coming next. Um, and I think that that tension of seeing so many different types of things that might scare you and knowing that there's even more to come, I think that is a really, really strong uh, asset of, uh, of The Shining. Because at no point do you feel comfortable with where you are at in that film, um, especially if it's your first time it, which I really envy the people who are adults now who get to watch it for the first time because I really wish I had seen that film for the first time when I was a little bit older um, than what I was. But um, but yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I think there is a uh, yeah, you're right. It, it's uh, it's it's almost abrasive in in how how it's uh, coming at you. Um, it it it's. You're right. There's never a point where you feel comfortable. The opening scene is, you know, is letting you know that you're about to be isolated. Um, you know, the music is, I, I don't even qualify it as music. Uh, it's, you know, weird violin strings, uh, you know, that are just, you know, <laughs> just, I mean, just, just hammering you pretty much through the whole movie. Um, but I, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on in The Shining that I think is uh, is worth uh, analysis. But I want but I want to start here because this is something you said. You said from the beginning, the intention 
is to scare the viewer. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Okay. I don't want to turn this into what this podcast is going to be about. Okay. But since we are dealing with Stanley Kubrick, I think we have to ask this question. Do you think the intention of the movie, do you think he had intentions other than to scare you? And if he did, what do you think they are? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think the sh- short version, uh, the short version of this answer um, is yes, because I think uh, with horror films in general, or rather higher quality horror films in general, um, the answer to that question will almost always be yes. Um, I think horror as a genre um, has a really underrated um, tendency along with having the intention to to scare you or create that sense of discomfort or dread. Um, it also has a really underrated ability to, to kind of ask viewers to think about various things. Um, because, and we talked about this in a couple of um, the articles I did last week, um, some of the strongest horror is actually things that aren't so much, you know, supernatural and out there and bizarre, despite um, how a lot of, like, artistic film students feel. It's far more the things that feel very real and feel very grounded that can often produce some really good horror. And along the way, it also asks us a lot of questions about ourselves and asks us questions about humanity or society um, or what have you. And I think Kubrick is able to do a very similar thing in The Shining. Um, because sure, there's there's 100% weird s- supernatural stuff that happens in The Shining that is there that's just kind of like, you know, horror porn, if you will. Like you get the images of like the, you know, the blood flowing out and filling up the corridors. You get the yeah. images of like the little dead in girls. And there are things that are just like, okay, like this is here to scare you. Like <laughs> that's what this is about. But then there's a lot of stuff in The Shining, and I'm sure I'm almost positive you feel the same way. There's a lot of stuff in The Shining that's scary because it feels pretty realistic it feels like (laughs) things you might um have encountered or maybe very likely to have encountered or encounter in the future um and i think through things like that um kubrick is able to kind of cause us to think about things and kind of ask ourselves questions about like wow like you know the emotional instability of Jack Nicholson's character um, is really is really affecting me. Like, I wonder, I wonder why in the midst of like blood-filled hallways and and dead corpses popping out and stuff, I wonder why this is a thing that's really having an effect on me. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I'll say to that. Yeah, this this is kind of scary because ironically, that's that's the that is the, because um, when I was asked that question, 
I, I've seen The Shining probably about probably over twenty five times. I mean, I've seen a lot. I mean, it's a it's a movie that uh, um, even even if you don't like horror, I mean, it's a movie I think everyone should watch just because of you know. And I just like to watch. Sometimes I like to watch it, try to detach myself from it, and try to just kind of you know marvel at how it's shot and everything. But that's really hard for me to do. And you hit on the point because when I was asking myself the question, why does it scare me? The literal answer I came up with is because this is all stuff I've seen. If you take the first half of that movie, okay, and you take all of the supernatural elements out of it, this is all things that I have seen um, over and over and over again. And and what's interesting, though, and where, where I think me and you are going to have an interesting conversation is because... You coming from your your psychological background, things like that, are looking at the emotional instabilities of Jack Torrance, who I think is a character when you talk about some more, obviously. But where I see it is I see a lot of the everyday evil that Jack Torrance does that the world seemingly ignores. Hmm. Um, and that and that and that's another reason why I want to do these podcasts is because I do want to analyze. Uh, coming from a from a pastor's perspective, even though you know I'm the even though I'm not pastoring right now, but from a from a theological perspective, coming from this moment of I think there is spirituality in a lot of horror movies. I think there's spirituality that has to be dealt with, uh, whether it's a just abject denial of it, uh, like something like I would say The Exorcist is, or like something that's happening here because there is a there's a spiritual nature to this film that I see. And what scares me about it most is that, and this is where I also think, by the way, in a question I want have you, have you read the book? I have not. I have not okay. read a lot of um, Stephen King stuff. I'll be okay. honest with you. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Stephen King. I think he's, um, I think he's a little overrated, but I do think he has. I mean, I think he's he's a fine writer. I mean, you don't you don't sell as many books as he he has, and just you can't just. I'm not gonna be that guy and be like, oh, you you sold four billion books. Well, you're overrated. I'm not gonna do that. Okay, but like, he's a very he's a, he's a he's a very good writer and a very good plotter. But here's what I'm gonna tell you: I've read The Shining and I've seen the movie, and I think Kubrick gets it right, and I think Stephen King gets it wrong, because what Stephen King does in the in the book essentially is, is Jack Torrance is a fairly normal guy. He's got an alcohol problem, but other than that, he's fairly normal, okay? Um, and he's married to a blonde cheerleader, former cheerleader, and they have a very precocious son, okay? And they go to the house, or they go to the Overlook Hotel, mm-hmm. and the Overlook Hotel corrupts them, okay? Mm-hmm. What Kubrick does instead, okay, is he tells you Jack Torrance is straight-up evil, Wendy is either a, you know, is either either okay with evil or just straight up wants to overlook it. And of course, Danny has issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what happens in the Overlook Hotel is the Overlook Hotel doesn't corrupt Jack. The Overlook Hotel just points him in the direction that he already wants to go. Mm-hmm. The best example of this, and, and in my opinion, the scariest scene in the whole movie. Okay. All right is when Jack talks to Lloyd for the first time. Mm-hmm. Because if you've ever if you've ever been in a service industry aspect, <laughs> you've had a customer like Jack who will walk mm-hmm. up to you randomly go, 
white man's burden, my friend, white man's burden. Call his kid a son of a bitch in front of you. Talk about his GD wife, you know, and you have to stand there and take it. Okay. And the thing is, is like when Stephen King comes out, he says he's, he's made the statement before that he believes Stanley Kubrick did a movie that wants to hurt people. In my opinion, Stephen King is being very naive. Okay. And has been sending out his butlers to do all of his duties for a long time because what Stanley Kubrick has done there is let you know that like, dude, this is 50% of the population that you're going to deal with acts like this, you know? And I mean, or or it seems like that when you're, when you are in a service industry position and what's amazing about that role, what that scene is, is that Jack Nicholson is so good at conveying just this, you know, just this, the, this, this just incredibly heinous, you know, I mean, I'll say heinous white man, because I do think race has a lot to do with this movie as well. But this heinous white man who just feels like everything is put upon him, you know, and Lloyd just has to stand there and take it. I understand Lloyd's a ghost and part of the reason, but like, but like I'm watching this movie go, every time I watch that scene, I just feel sad for Lloyd. Cause it's like, you know, you know, I mean, he just has to stand there and take it, you know, and just like, and, and everything he says in that scene is objectively horrifying and it gets worse and worse and worse. It goes on. And the worst part about it is the worst part about it is that he justifies every bit of his behavior. So like, for example, when he goes, you know, I hurt the kid one time, you know, you hear him say that one time and then he spends the next three minutes explaining to you why, you know, that wasn't his fault. You know, he had knocked over his papers. It could happen to anybody, so on and so forth. You know, and that scene to me is the scariest scene in the movie because everything that happens falls out of that scene, you know. And the and all that happens, like, you know, like all that happens, what Kubrick's really interesting about, uh, uh, what he does with this movie, what's really interesting is that all that happens to, like, make Jack want to do this is literally... One dude in a in in in, uh, in a restroom, and then like, you know, the fact that he gets th- that he's able to get alcohol from Lloyd. Those are the two catalysts that make him want to kill his family. If you go mm-hmm. back and you watch this movie, and those are the two things that just set him on the edge. And to me, that idea of this I of that, you know, these people can have these really normal evil tendencies, and can be just, you know, just have just something really small, set them off and set them over the edge. That to me is a, is way scarier than any of the supernatural stuff, you know, any of the, you know, whatever Tony is, any of the, you know, the, you know, the, the little girls or whatever, the idea that someone can just, can just be put on to such evil just by basically being like, well, you know what? Your wife doesn't understand you. You need to correct her. And then basically, boom, that's what sets you into, into evil. That to me is just, I mean, that, that's the scary part of this movie, you know, and that's, that's what's bother. That's, that's what bothers me about this movie. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I mean, am I off base there? Or what do you think? Um, no, no, I don't think you're off base at all. Um, I think, I think that, um, one's experience um, of of watching The Shining 
uh, I think is really going to come down to um, it's going to come down to what their um, interpretation of Jack is. Um, you know, you kind of alluded to it when you were talking about it, but like I've heard people who have sat down and watched The Shining uh, and came away from it and stuff and kind of had like the and kind of like expressed the opinion of just kind of like, oh, well, you know, man, that poor Jack, you know, he got in there and that place just, just had its way with him and tore him apart and stuff. And like, I get, I guess that's a, I guess that's a takeaway you can, you can have when you sit down and watch The Shining is poor Jack. But like, I don't, I don't see, I don't see, because even, so let's say this, assuming that you and I are wrong. And assuming that Kubrick did not intend um, the hotel to be kind of a magnification of who Jack Torrance already was, um, assume you and I are wrong, and it is just kind of like a a thing of just like, oh, this otherwise fine dude went to this hotel and got his his mind all all torn up and became a villain. If that were true, and if you and I are wrong, which I don't think we are, as arrogant as that might sound, <laughs> even if that were true, um, the movie and Jack Nicholson himself as well, combined, they do such a good job of of, of depicting that character in such a a despicable and terrifying light that even if I did come away from The Shining with the takeaway of, oh, that poor man got corrupted and got um, chewed up by the hotel and all that good stuff, even, I, even if I did come away with that kind of takeaway or interpretation, I'd still be hard-pressed to really feel any sympathy for the character just because over the course of the movie, the character is just gets such a good job of being shown to be this really despicable human being, regardless of if it was inherent to who he was or if it was a byproduct of the hotel. You and I agree that it was far more a statement of of issues he already had and was just inherently I, who that I character mean, I mean, is. I do... But... Yeah, I do believe the hotel obviously has supernatural qualities. Okay, I don't want to, you know, I mean, there's like a whole like theory to where like somehow Jack manifests on Dean. No, I think the hotel is evil. Okay, I'm not saying that, hmm. but I think Jack brought a lot of his evil with him. But carry on, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's just that um, even if I were to come away with just like this totally grounded idea of just like oh he was a fine dude he went to the hotel and he just kind of lost his mind um uh both the director and uh, the actor in this situation just do such a good job <laughs> of depicting this guy as just like an awful terrifying dude that like i'd still be very hard pressed to really have any 
empathy for him um, or anything like that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it seems so obvious to me. I don't know. Like they're driving up. Okay, you have the scene where you know, of course, you know Kubrick is Kubrick. You know, I don't know. Q, uh, look, I, you even you even text me like, you know, you, you, I know you have some issues with Kubrick in the past, and I do. I have issues with Kubrick, okay. But like, you know, Kubrick. One thing about him, okay, is that he does not care, in my opinion, about subtlety at all. All right, he does. He's just not subtlety. Just goes out the window. Okay, he wants you to understand certain messages, and one, of course, that he brings up over and over is the theme of isolation. Okay, and and mm. the you know the idea of you know, putting yourself in this position because Jack does that, okay? Like he, and and there's a there's a sense of like, you know, all this, all this goes back to it being Jack's fault, you know, and, and everything that happens, you know, is stuff that Jack could have prevented. Um, but like there's a, you know, there's a scene where they're going up there and part of this isolation is that right off the bat, you know, you got Wendy going, then the Donner party happened right here, you know, and everything. They have this little discussion about the Donner party. And like, there's a part where, you know, Danny just very innocently says, you know, I don't know about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. And Jack, for no reason whatsoever, just decides, and it, I mean, it's a perfect Jack Nicholson moment because only he could do it. It's just like, see, Wendy, he saw it on TV, just like that. And there's no reason for him to be a jerk like that. There's none. <laughs> there's nothing that, like, it, I, like, what are we supposed to take from that? Jack, you don't watch TV. You're too good for the TV. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> so, like, literally, like, from the very beginning, every choice that Jack Nicholson makes in this movie, which is why, by the way, I think Jack Nicholson's probably one of the five best actors in history, but every single choice he makes in this movie is to tell you how horrible he is. Before we even get to, you know anything that happens with demonic forces or anything like that, he is straight up horrible. And so for me, what happens is that the, the question, and, and, and so this is why Stephen King probably has a right, has a reason to be angry was because Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick are asking different questions and they're doing different things. And Stanley Kubrick's concept, what, what he is making into his movie and, and, to, to take your term, the catalyst and intention is from the very beginning. He lets you know that we're about to see a movie where these people are going to be at the mercy, not so much of a hotel, but at the mercy of the person that's supposed to protect them, who is Jack. And what happens when that person is just a straight up evil dude, you know? And that to me sets everything in the movie, you know, it, 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 that, that sets up the entire movie because then all the motifs are about that. So like, for example, you brought up the two, the two girls, you know, you know, I mean, the two girls, in my opinion, you know, are there, you know, I, and I kind of, I kind of want to talk about this as well, because Tony, I think is a, is a, uh, is a, is a controversial figure, which I didn't realize that until I was re reviewing this. Cause apparently there's a lot of like concept over what he is, but, one of the readings I get from this movie is a lot of things that Danny sees in this movie is to warn him of what's to happen, you know? So like when he sees the girls massacred, <laughs> you know, that's to warn him that, you know, this is something that could happen to you. Uh, there's something that's, that's coming for you because there's a, there's a thematic line 
you know, through the movie where, you know, you've got um, what Delbert Grady is that his name, I think, who's, you know, the one who kill who's who kills his family. And he's the mm-hmm. one that tells Jack, you know, right. you've got to you've got to put your family in place. So you've got this thematic line of people of these like, you know, put upon father figures, <laughs> you know, that are like, you know, just taking it out on their family. And and so, you know, I I think that theme is so present through the entire movie that it's really hard for me to accept a reading where it's, well, the house does all this. Because if the house did all this, you know, um, it, it almost seems like, you know, uh, that <laughs> uh, the house is, is just basically, or excuse me, the hotel is just doing one thing over and over and over again. But it seems like they're just—I mean—they're just bringing the evil with them, and and that's—I mean, there's that there's—I mean, the movie, five minutes in the movie, you know, Danny has a has a vision of what's to come and has a seizure, you know, and that's—I mean—that's the warning, you know, that's the that's the warning of telling him, you know, like, look, this is this is a problem you're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so thematically, I see a lot of uh, in this in this movie. Uh, you know, I think horror movies have themes, or the good horror movies have themes that you're supposed to take away with you. Um, thematically, I think the theme of abuse is really, really strong in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of of abuse, um, but but what's interesting is um, is that <laughs> well, we've got to bring this up. Um, that concept of abuse. Uh, occurs, and the reason I think it's so strong is because essentially you had a a movie set where Stanley Kubrick abused Shelley Duvall for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And so, so what what do you like? You know, I mean, this is kind of getting a little off track, okay? But like, and even Shelley Duvall, like I've I, like I said, I, I tried I tried to do my research on these things. I found several interviews where Shelley Duvall says. You know, like I get why Stanley Kubrick did what he did, okay? Because, um, because when I go back and I watch the, he says when I go back and watch the movie, she says she thinks it's her best performance, and I mean it, it is obviously, okay. But there's something weird about a movie that's telling you about the evils of abuse while the guy who's in charge of the movie is abusing, in particular, one person. Uh, you know, what do you what do you think about all that, Al? Like, uh, you know, like I mean, have have you heard those stories as well? Um, yes, yes, I have. Um, it's, um, it's some of the more, um, famous stories to come out of the production of, of the Shining was, um, how, how Shelley Duvall was treated. And, um, I was actually about to kind of bring it up uh, myself as well, because, you know, Obviously, give all the credit in the world to Jack Nicholson because he is is a terrific actor. He he plays the hell out of that role in The Shining. He's a big reason why uh, that movie is as effective as it as it is. But um, I think Shelley Duvall's experience um, performance as well is is just right up there alongside his, um, and she. She um she's such a big reason herself of why the film is as effective as a horror film as it is. Um, I think it's 
I mean, I think it's incredibly unfortunate that she had to endure that kind of um, existence on the set. Um, I'm not sure I would go as far as as she does to say like, oh yeah, see like why he did that and stuff. I think that's inexcusable. I think it's a thing that happens um, a lot more often than we are aware of. If I'm being honest, <laughs> um, and it just doesn't come out. Um, it's kind of a Kubrick thing. I mean, like, you know, really, other than Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and also I think because Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are probably like, look, man, we'll walk off this set. We don't need this. We don't need this, okay? Yeah. But, like, other than those two, you really, every movie, you've got a report of him just doing something that's, you know, morally... Yeah, I mean a little, a little morally gray to the cast. I'll, I, that, I'm, I'm trying to be nice here. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I'll like I can see where she is coming from when she says, "Yeah, it made my performance a lot more effective." I can see her saying that. I'm not about to tell her she's wrong or her feelings about it are wrong or anything like that. Because obviously, I wasn't there i wasn't a part of the process quite obviously i wasn't alive when the thing was being filmed but um <laughs> but like um yeah i'm i'm one of the contentious people who say her she's a good enough actress to where her performance probably would have been just fine if she hadn't been terrorized by her director for over a year um, i'm one of i'm one of those contentious few who have that opinion um <laughs> You know, because like, sure, I understand. I mean, I understand being able to sacrifice for your art, but I think, I think at some point there does need to be a line um, of human decency where yeah. um, you realize, you know, these these actors and actresses and artists, they're, you know, they're um, they're real people. <laughs> they're real people, and you know, I think I don't know. I think there was enough there with The Shining. For for the movie to still be great without all that happening, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely touches upon some ethical concerns. Everybody, write down one on your tally marks for else things something about ethical concerns because hey, his career bleeds uh, over into podcasts. But yeah, hey, I'm with you, dude. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, I mean, and I think there is a uh, you know, and in you know, I mean, horror movies, you know, I think um, some horror movies, we'll discuss this a little later on, uh, with movie come down a little down the line. I think horror movies, in a lot of ways, do kind of uh, find themselves you know, on, on that balance line between ethical and unethical in a lot of ways. There's a, there's a lot of horror movies I've seen that are just straight-up exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about The Shining, though, is like the exploitation <laughs> isn't really so much a, you know, a naked girl getting stabbed, you know, or something like that. It's a, it's like the director, you know, being like, okay, we're gonna do this seed where you know Jack is chasing you up the stairs, you know, seventy five times, you know, and I'm gonna tell you how you're doing it wrong every single one of those times, you know, until you get it right. You know, there's a you're right. There's an ethical line there probably that that's probably needs to get uh talked about a little more um but i will say you know uh, you know whatever there's there's a one of the strengths of this movie is that there is a haggard effect on all the actors uh not just wendy jack nicholson 
Scatman Carruthers, uh, you know, not so much Danny. Uh, one of the interesting stories about Danny is, uh, uh, is that uh, uh, Danny Lloyd um, is that for whatever reason, Kubrick was extremely protective of him, apparently, and that he did not know it was a horror movie uh, until after he had completed the movie, which mm-hmm. I find really hard yeah. to do, particularly with the red rum scene. Um, but like, you know, he, he swears this is true. He says like, you know, they just told me what to do and what to say. He said, I thought I was doing a drama. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, like, and like, and, and so like that scene where she's got, she's picked him up and she's running down the hall with him. Uh, apparently that's just a doll. Um, mm. and so like, I, I find that interesting that, you know, like he was really protective of Danny, you know, but like, you know, uh, Shelly Duvall, you know, like you're just, you're going to go through the ringer on this thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you bring up ethics. Okay. You bring up the, the ethical dilemma here. Okay. And then like, I, 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 I do want to move on to the supernatural stuff here in a second after this question. Um, but is there, is there an ethic within the shining? You know, I think uh, that's a, you know, a lot of horror movies in my opinion, don't have an ethic. You know, like I, like I love psycho. I don't think Psycho really has an ethic to it, you know, yeah. any, uh, any, any, you know, uh, and I mean, you know, there, that's not really a knock on that movie, uh, you know, but I'm just saying it doesn't really have, you don't walk out of that movie going, well, I learned something today. You know, you don't do the, you know, the Kyle from South Park. Okay. <laughs> so with, with the shining though, you know, and this is, and I think this was all Stanley Kubrick movies. Do you think there's an ethic in the shining? Is there something, you know, um, yeah, I mean, we talk about the nature of abuse, but it's like, is there is there an ethical, you know, question being asked in The Shining? What do you think? Mm. Um, I think, I mean, like, there's a very obvious answer of just like, don't abuse your family, but there's a very obvious answer there. I think if there is an ethic. Um, I would almost say it leans a bit more away from the abusive side and almost leans more in to the isolation side of things. Um, and this actually came to mind as we were talking about um, Ellie Duvall's character, Wendy, because there's a scene in the movie, I think it happened, yeah, it happens r- relatively early on, where, um, w- where, Wendy first gets on the radio um, and talks to um, the, I forget if it's, if it's like a hate trooper or whatever it is on the other end. And, um, and she talks to them and they t- talk for a bit. And then, you know, eventually he says, well, you know, if you need anything, then holler at us. And she says, okay, great. Thank you very much. It's, it's been great talking to you over and out and stuff. Uh, it's a very small scene, but I think it's a really important scene. And I think it's one of the more important scenes as far as, as getting to an ethical statement in this film. Uh, and that is that uh, our, our, our relation and our connection to other people Um it's really important, and it's really important to who we inherently are as human beings. Because um, I noticed this the last time I watched it. Actually, uh, I watched this 
uh, towards the beginning of the month, actually. Um, and something you'll notice about that scene uh, is that is one of the last um, times that Kelly uh, Duvall's character ever smiles uh, <laughs> throughout the rest of the movie. And I think it's arguably almost the only time that she uh, that her character genuinely smiles um, throughout the entire film. Um, and it's almost, and I think I may be over, <laughs> over extrapolating a bit on it, but I think it almost kind of alludes to that idea of, of the ethical statement and our connection uh, to other people, especially when we're in kind of abusive situations like that, or even very neglectful um, situations like that, or very alone feeling situations like that, um, is that um, you said towards the beginning, you know, she's the character who either um, is okay with evil or overlooks evil. Um, and I think that that scene kind of, puts a curveball to both of those kinds of interpretations because just with that scene with her having that brief, even non-visual um, connection with a human being who isn't her husband <laughs> or her son, um, you see that kind of spark of life come back to her and she smiles and she has um, a genuinely positive experience, probably the only positive experience she has in the entirety of The Shining. Um, and I think that kind of speaks a lot to how you know, the inherently evil side of Jack Torrance is really um, is really oppressing their family. Um, and that happens before they go to the hotel, but obviously it's intensified when they get to the hotel. Um, and I think that having that kind of oppressive cloud over you um, or being in uh, in proximity to that kind of negativity, we see that all the time, is that when you are in that kind of abusive relationship or neglectful relationship, any kind of human any kind of human interaction outside of that can be a real form of support and a real form of joy. And we see that in that scene. And so if I had to say there's one kind of ethical statement that's made, I would say kind of uh, much more relates to um, the relational side of the characters and and how that's um, both kind of obscured and magnified in a lot of ways by um, by the isolationist type of fear in the film um, because it just is so. It uses that kind of fear just so, so very well. Um, better than a majority of films and try to use it. Well, I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. And I, I'm not, I'm not really trying to be too hard on Wendy. Uh, when I say that I feel like she overlooks evil. Um, I'm not trying to do that at all, but, but what is here's, <laughs> you know, like you bring up that, that interaction. But here's the thing, Al. There's an interaction earlier on that I think actually gives into your ethic a little even even closer to that uh, uh, th than that one, which is when she's talking with the, uh, I guess the the 
child doctor, I guess. I, I mean, I, you kind of mm. get, I don't really, is, is that a child psychiatrist maybe or something? I really didn't get the, the, the gist of who she is in the movie. Um, but like, but anyway, when, when she's talking to, to her, you know, she's having a conversation. She is, she does smile. She's very pleasant. Um, but like, there's also that moment where, you know, she tells what Jack did and is basically like, you know, it could happen to anybody just like Jack is later on. And there's, you know, and like, you know, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is like, it is really, really hard to pull a bone out of a socket. Okay. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to do that. And it's especially yeah. difficult to do it to, you know, a presumably five-year-old whose bones are still growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, con- like that concept right there, like, I mean, I think, I, I, once again, I'm, I'm, I think, I think Wendy is a very, um, you know, I mean, she, she's the good guy in this movie. Okay. You know, but I also think like, there's a sense of Kubrick's like telling us like, you know, the, the, their signs here, Wendy, you know I mean? You, you know, this is, this is, this is a bad idea, you know, for you to agree to go to a hotel alone with this cat, you know? Um, and so to me, that's a, you know, that, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from, you know, and, and, and particularly with abuse, you know I mean? You know, you would know, you know, with, with your realm of study bear and I do, you know, the first thing typically abusers do, or one of the first thing they do is they try to isolate the person they're abusing. Um, and I mean, that's definitely, you know, what, you know, that's what Jack is doing here. Um, but I do think there's a sense, uh, and I don't think it really hurts, you know, your, uh, your ethic of community at all in this movie, but I do think there's a sense for like, you know, Wendy, Wendy's complicit to a degree here, you know, not, she's not really, I mean, she's not, you know, not really complicit in abuse, but like, you know, she's allowing things to happen here that don't need to happen. Um, because she knows, I mean, she knows what Jack is, you know I mean? I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Like, you know, this, this is, this is why Kubrick, Kubrick's once again, not subtle. You know, if we know what Jack is within 30 seconds, you know, then what Kubrick is telling us is like, you know, if you know what Jack is within 30 seconds, then Wendy, who's been living with him for years, you know, should know exactly what he is as well. You know, because Wendy's not stupid. In fact, I think Wendy's actually, you know, pretty uh, resourceful in this movie, you know, considering, you know, what she's up against. Um, You know, and, uh, and, I mean, she proves to be resourceful. Even Grady says, you know, it looks like she outsmarted you. Uh, You know, so, I mean, like, she's not dumb, you know, and, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, like, there's, there's a sense of, like, you know, you, you know what's happening here. And, like, so, so this... So, but with, with that idea of community, you know, at, you, you, you also, you know, there is a sense that I, I, but I do want to piggyback on that for a second, Al, because once again, the thing that sets Jack off, the thing that really, you know, the nudge in the, in the direction is, do you remember what it is? Like, like the moment when he decides what he's going to do, do you remember why he decides it? Um, uh, no, you tell me. Okay. Grady tells him that uh, Danny is calling that N-word up here. Mm. And it's someone coming into, you know, invading the isolation that these created. So I think you've definitely got a point there, man. I mean, like, there's a, that's the, you know, that's that's an ethic I'd never even thought of. But, like, that's the, I mean, that's the moment, you know, Jack has created this, 
<laughs> this isolation, you know, where you know where he's he's in control, and someone coming into that situation uh, is a threat to him. Hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's how I mean that's how Grady you know you know Grady said you know I mean he says that, and then Jack immediately says he's such a willful boy, you know, and Grady goes add naughty, you know, uh, you know which is you know kind of weird but still okay, but like. <laughs> But, but, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, I mean, that's the scene, that's the moment, you know, where he decides, well, I've got to do something, you know, and the very next scene after that is when he confronts Wendy at the typewriter. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I think, I think your ethic is onto something though. I think, I think that's a, uh, that's a good, um, I think, I think that's a good reading of the movie. Um, okay. I want, I want to talk about the, so like what's interesting about the shining is that, a lot of time we don't talk about the shining. So like the movie, like what I mean by that is, you know, the, the term comes from uh, Halloran's uh, the, the film title comes from Halloran's term for this ESP, I guess. I mean, is that what it is? I mean, I, I guess it's, you know, that's kind of how I see it. Sure, uh, sure. But this, sure. You know, but that Danny has where they can, you know, have conversations uh, you know, um, you know, with any, with any terrorist heads, um, you know, uh, in the, in the book, this is kind of different. Tony, uh, Tony in the book. Okay. Is <laughs> here we go. Okay. You ready for this is Danny's future self warning him about what's about to happen. So, uh, so the book kind of ruined. So the book, when you, when you find that out about, midway through the book you kind of Stephen King kind of ruins his own ending for you um but anyway but that's the that's that's what he is in the um in the book um in the movie Tony you know who's definitely a manifestation of his ESP but like there's a real controversy you know if you get into the reddits and things like that uh you know which by the way uh here's a here's a personal um just a personal message to anyone listening to this um the shining reddits are not places you want to go okay <laughs> these are not uh, areas where anyone should ever be um you know if you think room 237 is bad the documentary which i'm assuming you see now um the reddits themselves go into much weirder and much stranger places um but that being said uh, ending that personal note one of the controversies is is, is tony a good guy or is he a bad guy um, is he a malevolent force or is he a benevolent force? You know, I kind of want to get your answer on that. What do you think? Is Tony is Tony trying to help the situation or is he trying to make the situation worse? What do you think? Mm. Gotcha. Um, so I will I will go ahead and preface my answer by saying um, no, I have not seen um, Hawker's Sleep, uh, which is the um, follow up to the shining that was made last year um i've heard it's really good um i've heard unfortunately i'm not alone because of apparently a lot of people did not go see doctor sleep um, i had every intention to and i've had every intention to ever since it went to blu-ray and um streaming services and all that i'm going to get to it this month but um i have not seen that yet so I'm saying this without the insight that having seen Dr. Sleep could 
uh, possibly have thwarted me um, about it. But anyway, um, I think, you know what? I'll probably make a lot of diehard Shining fans upset with this, but I'm I'm currently unconvinced that Tony is either um, inherently evil or inherently good. Um, I think Tony, first of all, I think that uh, it is a supernatural thing. Um, I don't subscribe to the theories that are just like, oh, it's just, it's just like how he manifests his childhood trauma and psychosis and stuff, because that's not a very good theory, <laughs> to be completely it's honest with you. That has gone for five minutes in the movie. That's absolutely. I mean, he has, yeah. I mean, Tony's the one that shares with him what's going to happen at the hotel. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even, yeah. I mean, even outside of its basis in the film, it's just very bad. Uh, Pop psychology in general, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm unconvinced. I like to hear what you think about it because I am unconvinced that Tony is either evil or good. I think it, I think it is a supernatural entity that exists that has some kind of connection with Annie and and tells some things and. Inform some things, inform some of things to come, but I don't, I don't know, because even when, um, even when Hick is talking about it um, as well, um, I didn't really get any impression from him that he thought it was an inherently good or inherently bad thing. I kind of got the impression from him of it just kind of being a thing that some people have and how and how you use it or if you choose to use it um is kind of up to you so um yeah yeah i'd like to hear your thoughts on that joshua well so okay so the <laughs> so so i've got so once again i've kept my first interpretation from and from ever since i watched this movie okay and like i didn't even know this was a controversy I didn't know it was a thing, you know, it, it, it became more of a controversy yes, with Dr. Sleep because once again, Dr. Sleep is doing this weird thing. I, once again, I haven't seen this movie, but it's doing this weird thing where it's trying to stay, stay, um, you know, stay relevant to the shining by Stanley Kubrick while at the same time following the storyline of the shining. Right. By <laughs> so like it's, it's doing this, it's doing this weird thing where it's in the middle. Um, in the book, Tony's obviously good, okay? Like, I mean, because it's, it's Danny. Right. So, right. in the book, it's obviously good. In the movie, when I'm watching it, you know, for me, in my opinion, Tony is sit, is there as a, I agree, supernatural, but is a protection for Danny, okay? There's a very, so like, so for example, okay, the most famous scene in this movie probably is the two girls in the hallway come play with us, Okay. When that scene happens, Danny's first instance is to say, Tony, I'm scared. Okay. And, um, you know, Tony's Tony is kind of re reassures him, like, look, remember what Mr. Halloran said? These are just things that have happened. Okay. These are, uh, you know, just like, you know, they're like photographs. I can't remember what the word he uses, but it's like, you know, these are things that have happened 
and they just kind of stay here. Okay. Um, you know, the exception that of course is room 237. Uh, but like, you know, so there's a sense where, you know, like, you know, Tony is telling Danny, you know, like trying to help him navigate through this very, very difficult situation. But like the scene that everybody seems to, in my opinion, misinterpret is the red rum scene. Because in my opinion, <laughs> Tony is trying to freaking warn Wendy that death is about to happen in that movie. And, and, and you know, mm. in 20 seconds. Okay. And like everyone takes it, you know, or there's a lot of people that take it. And well, he's got the knife. He's getting ready to warn Wendy. I'm like, no, he's standing there holding the knife about to hand it to her because Jack is literally at this moment running up the stairs, you know, with an ax because mm. that scene, that entire scene there, the whole, the whole, he starts saying red rum the night before because he sees what's about to happen. He knows, he knows the experience. It seems like he knows the experiences of the past in Overlook hotel. Mm. Okay. And he's like, it's about to happen again. So the red rum scene, which of course is very important with that whole motif of mirrors as well. But like that entire scene to me is Tony or Danny or someone with a connection trying to warn Wendy, like, look, you think you've solved this and you haven't, you know, or you think you got under control and you don't. Okay. Um, and so I, that, so I, I don't see, I, I don't see Tony. I see Tony, you know, benevolent in a sense, in the sense that, you know, I'm not saying he's like, you know, has a, you know, as a, you know, like, cares you know about wendy or anything like that but i do think he's trying to help danny you know navigate this because mm -hmm. because once again like and and like i <laughs> i have to go i'm just using all the information stanley kubrick's given me okay it's like you know danny's standing brushing his teeth and asking tony well like you know what's going to happen you need to tell me and tony's like no i don't think that's a good idea you know and danny's like you have to tell me and then the very next scene is you know you know, he's, he's had a seizure. So like, you know, the, the idea of this, you know, this almost like protective system that Tony sets up and that he's, he seems like he's trying to warn people. I see Tony almost as like a, as, as benevolent. What I do wonder though, is if, cause like, I don't think it, I don't think it works with the movie for Tony to be, uh, for Tony to be Danny in the future. I don't think that that works within the movie, mm. so kind of wonder what Stan and I, and I looked. I couldn't find out what Stanley Kubrick's interpretation of this is, you know, because mm. he doesn't give you any hint. He doesn't give you any concept of what it is, you know. And of course, right. he does have a lot of things, but like you know, this sure, is a main sure. character, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's kind of how I see him, you know. Yeah. I, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost glad that. He didn't offer up like a clear cut. Oh yeah, this is exactly what Tony is, because I don't know. I feel like I feel like a lot of horror films. Um, and this is an issue with the genre, kind of at large, in my opinion, is that um, a lot of horror films, especially recent stuff, kind of thinks their audience is dumb, and kind of <laughs> and kind of doesn't trust their audience to like figure things out or to like or just in general to like struggle with those kinds of things and like be okay with asking questions and and talking through it and debating through it and stuff so i'm almost glad 
he doesn't offer up his own clear-cut kind of interpretation of what it is. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, he's... Uh, I mean, Kubrick is, you know, uh, with this movie, uh, is not as mysterious as you would think he is. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's debunked a lot of the theories, you know, of course, of the, the moon landing and all that stuff, you know, the Native American stuff to him, you know, although he's definitely sympathetic to the plight of Native Americans, you know, he's, but it's like, he's like, that's not really a motif other than just like the overarching motif of evil. Like he just, he's, he, he's, he's, you know, he, he's talked, he talked about this movie quite a bit and he's not really, um, you know, he, he's not really coy about it, you know? Um, and so like, you know, in the sense of like Christopher Nolan's real coy about, you know, all of his movies, Kubrick is not, he, he, he wants to discuss, which is why I found it weird that like the one thing that I couldn't find was an explanation of what Tony is, you know, uh, but it might be out there. I don't know. But I just found that kind of strange. Uh, Okay. I do want to, I do want to move. I want to move a bit, um, you know, into, in, in kind of same area, but like, you know, when dealing with uh the shining okay all right um so we're we're talking about you know i think there's a sense obviously me and you kind of agree you know jack is uh a bad dude before a bad dude during and a bad dude after um but um the to me and maybe maybe you you know you you might have different concepts on this and if you do i really want to hear them uh but I'd, I'd kind of see Jack as our protagonist. I mean, Jack's the, you know, I mean, he's the guy that <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, I'm really like, this is going to sound heartless, but he's the guy that, you know, if, if a protagonist is someone that drives a story and who has a job to do, that's what Jack is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the, he's got drive story. He does have a goal. I mean, that goal is horrific, but he does have a goal, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think he's the protagonist. Okay. So for me, I think the the antagonist then in this is very clearly the hotel. Um, you know, I mean, would you agree with that? Hmm. Um. Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, what, you know, so like, so talk to me then about the hotel's antagonistic influence. You know, like, you know, what, you know, like, talk about the the. Where the hotel, of course, is you know is probably as famous as anything in this movie. So, talk about its uh, what serves the story, if you don't mind. All right? Yeah, sure. So, um, so when you start thinking about what role the hotel plays in *On The Shining*, this is where you kind of have to start to delve a little bit more into um, a lot into kind of um, the different kinds of theories about horror um what i mean by that is um as far as the as far as the hotel's role in the story goes um the hotel as an antagonist is kind of the villain of the story um it is uh, the main way it accomplishes that role is through the very very, very wide umbrella term uh, that is known as psychological horror. Um, and in in a word, psycho- this psychological horror is really just any kind of horror or intention to create fear that 
focuses on one on how characters think on how characters kind of process um, their environment and the stimuli about them um, um, because if you'll recall all you all, all you college students out there is taking their first psychology course um, <laughs> psychology does not uh, just involve the mind it involves um, the body and it um, involves our behaviors um, as well um, um, it's a very very um, empirical science and so when we talk about uh, psychological horror um, and how the hotel kind of utilizes um, that type of fear to to kind of drive the narrative to, to introduce um, challenges and obstacles to overcome to oppose on the main set of characters uh, you get into how that psychological how that psychological horror is experienced by each of the characters, right? Um, we've talked at length about how how psychological horror affects uh, Jack Torrance in the film. Um, it it more serves as kind of a stimulus uh, to him, uh, kind of a catalyst. We've used that word a lot up tonight, which I wasn't entirely expecting to <laughs> kind of a catalyst <laughs> to kind of um, push him closer and closer to the edge until he snaps and fully terrorizes his family and has intent to kill them. Um, that kind of psychological horror very much, um, and this is true of Jack and also true of Wendy as well, is very much based in what the hotel does to his environment. Um, and I think, I think if I had to choose, because there's tons of different subtypes and subcategories of psychological horror and how how it can work in a horror book and a horror film, um, however it's used, um, I think um, horror based in the environment is one of the most common types used in films, but it's one of the least kind of talked about. Um, uh, because you have Jack, he's going around, it starts as kind of a subconscious thing that's kind of magnified by um, the isolation and things like that. But then, dude just like starts straight up seeing ghosts and dead <laughs> people and having full conversations with them and, you know, playing heaven. And it's in heaven. With like, <laughs> with like a corpse, like stuff, stuff is going on and stuff is going on in his environment. Um, you know, the images of the twins and the images of the hallways filling up with blood. Um, those are environmental horror um, stimuli that's affecting what they're seeing and perceiving and that's affecting their thought processes. Um, I think it's very telling because... Um, the psychological horror that that the hotel utilizes against the main characters, I think it's really telling for each character how they deal with that horror and how they respond to it and how they respond to the hotel. Um, you talk about how Danny sees the girls and he talks to Tony and just like, hey, I'm scared. Uh, we see Wendy get very um, scared and, and spooked if you will, at the various things that she sees and encounters. Um, 
Oh, Jackie boy, he gets to a point where he's just like, hey, sure, why not? Well, <laughs> and well, I think that I think that is one of the more telling things that really kind of says, okay, like you can tell there's more going on with Jack's character because of how he responds over time to his environment and to these psychological things that are happening. But yeah, um, yeah, you go on. Well, no, because because okay, well, you're 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 going in the direction, you're going where I, where where we need to go, because I do think it's telling that all three characters respond differently. But what I think is extremely telling, and so I guess you know, not that I'm really wanting to wind down this podcast, but I think at, cer- at a certain point we got to talk about the ending here. You know, Jack seems to, I mean, case in point, you know, like. I've always liked you, Lloyd. You know, the best GD bartender from Portland, Maine to, well, in Portland, Oregon, too. You know, I mean, there's a sense of, you know, you've got, you've got this idea where, like, he's, he's so, he's so nonplussed by the idea that, uh, by the fact that he's seeing things in this hotel, you almost have to take it as, well, okay, okay. So, no, I, I, actually, you're the horror expert. How do you take it? Why does Jack know so? I mean, why does Jack know these people? Why is he in that picture at the end? How do you take that? Mm, yeah. Um, so, I think, I think again, it, it really has to do with how over time he kind of reacts to um, the hotel or reacts to um, the things that imposes. On him and on his environment. Um, one way I'd like to kind of uh, contrast his character and kind of the narrative of um, of The Shining in general is um, with another film I came out um, as well. And y'all, I will try to not make a habit out of this because I think. I think the horror genre and horror fans kind of have a tendency to be very much like um, video game journalists and that they uh, very much base their commentary on things um, in comparison to other things are kind of derivative in that way. Um, So I'll try not to do that too much, but the contrast is just too palpable to pass up. Of this situation, and that is to contrast um, Jack Torrance and how he responds to to the horror kind of imposed on him by the hotel, and compare it to uh, the father um, George from a film that came out a year before which is one of my favorites of all time, is the Amityville Horror. Um, you t- take a character like Jack, who's in this hotel, and gradually he starts to really embrace it. He starts to embrace these things that are intruding upon his environment, and that's the way he copes with it. Is he just like, okay, yeah, I'm, um, I as well. There's something in me that kind of feels connected to this anyway, and so I'll embrace it. Contrast that to the final act of Amityville Horror, where George, who has had kind of a similar journey through his experience with a very 
um, supernaturally evoked house. Um, and you get to the final act, and George is just like, okay, nope, I'm done. Let's get out of here. Let's get the kids. Let's get the dog. We're done with this house. And he does not allow the house to kind of overcome him, um, things like that. Um, I think the difference there is that, and you kind of have to get scientific and empirical with it and start to strip down the variables that don't fit. Um, you have two f f other figures who move in to a new place with supernatural stuff going on. It intrudes upon their environment. It intrudes upon their psychological minds and how they process things. Um, the difference between George and Jack is that George, and again, this goes back to what we already talked about, George is an inherently good person um, who is being just straight up besieged by very evil things. Whereas Jack is an inherently bad person who who is being nudged and almost comforted and embraced by the evil things that are happening at the hotel. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think to go back to how it ends, you know, why is Jack present in the picture? Why is, you know, he talking and conversing with these ghosts as if he's <laughs> owned them forever? Um, you know, I don't think it's like some kind of weird time travel parallel dimension thing, which I've seen house and around the internet before about uh, the shining. I think it's that his reaction to the horror and his reaction to, to the imposition of the hotel into his environment and into his life, his response to it was to embrace it. Mm -hmm. And his response to it was very much shaped by how the hotel tried to get to him in the first place, um, which is Lloyd, pour me up a drink and things like that. Because the hotel has an intelligence and it has the intelligence to know what's going to work with some people and, um, and what's going to work with others. And so it chose to kind of um, embrace Jack and kind of try to bring him into it um, itself and kind of use him as, as its own agent and as its own catalyst for horror. Uh, whereas you can pair it again to George from Amityville Horror, very similar journey, very similar types of characters. I can test that George is inherently a very good person who struggles against what's happening to him. Whereas Jack in The Shining, again, is an inherently bad person who doesn't feel the need to struggle or to to contend with the things that are going on around him. Uh, yeah, I, I love the explanation. I do. I think it's. I, I think you're uh, uh, the the main the main crux of that is the the concept of Jack embracing it, and and I think you do make a really good because this movie does get compared to Amityville quite a bit, and um, you know I think uh, I think thematically. Uh, I think it's kind of unfair. Uh, you talk about video game journalism, <laughs> but I do think, you know, uh, and I think what your point is, you know, like it's, it's almost unfair to, to compare the movies because they're doing two different things, uh, particularly with their protagonist. 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, and here's, so, <laughs> all right. You're just gonna have to trust me on this. You're just gonna have to trust me. Okay. Al and everybody listening, you're gonna have to trust me on this. Okay. The Overlook Hotel is a satanic influence. Now, here's where I'm coming from on that. Within the Bible, Satan is is not Satan in the Bible. The word Satan is not synonymous with the word devil. Okay. There's a lot of really bad theology out there that yeah conflates the two. Okay. I'm not saying they're not the same person, but here's the here's the concept. Within the Bible, within the, the biblical stories, Satan's role, Satan's role is to accuse. Satan literally means the accuser. It's a concept of it's it's a prosecution courtroom concept. So for example, you know, with Adam and Eve, you know, there's an accusation there. There's a there's a question there. Well, I, he's accusing God, essentially saying, well, God doesn't want you to be as smart as him. That's why you can't eat that apple. Okay, there's the accusation. With Job, the accusation is, well, you know, if you do whatever you want to to Job, he'll turn on you. With Jesus, it's like, you know, well, surely, you know, you can do these things, you know, and and I'll give you the whole world, you know, if you do these things. You know, the, there's an accusation, okay? So the Overlook Hotel, when when we when we take it for what you know Jack does here, when he goes, he sits down at the bar the first time. Literally, this is a, this is word for word what he says. Do you remember what he says when he sits at the bar the first time, Al? You are so excited. I'm going to ask you. To I am so excited. <laughs> You're so he excited. Says, I will give my soul for a drink. Okay, and at that moment is when Lloyd appears. Right at that moment. And here's the thing. Up to that moment, we've had no. I, I, I'm, I'm almost doubting myself, but I'm, I'm pretty sure up to that moment, Jack's had no, you know, experience with, um, with the supernatural. Okay, like there's been nothing. You know, the, the you know, I mean, there's there's been nothing. Okay, he's had no experience. You know. Um, you know, Danny has had his experiences, you know, Wendy hadn't had really any experiences, but Danny at that point has been choked by the woman, has seen the two girls. Jack's had no experience, but he goes and he sits at that bar. He says, I will give my soul for a drink. Okay. He goes up to the bartender, you know, Lloyd gives him a drink. He tries to pay. He doesn't have anything in his wallet, you know, and Jack goes, is my credit good here? And Lloyd says, your credit is perfect here. Okay. Comes back around. Second time he goes to the bar, okay? This time he goes to the bar, and if you remember, the gold room is full. Everyone's there, okay? You've got, you know, I mean, it's a full party. It's just goes up to Lloyd. He tries to pay, and what does Lloyd tell him? Your money's no good here. And that moment, okay, in my opinion, is the moment where Jack just gives himself over to the hotel, where he's like, this is, and now he's part of this sequence of events that is going to happen over and over and over again at this hotel. Um, because the hotel is evil, you know. That's what I mean when I say it's a satanic influence. It's a, it's something, it, it's a, it's something that when you go into it and you, you know, in particular with Jack, who, like you said, is looking to embrace it, you know, 
it's somewhat it, it's a it's an influence that allows you to embrace your worst impulses, which is the very definition of a satanic influence, you know, uh, biblically speaking. I don't want to if there's any you know anybody in the new church of Satan, I don't want to offend you, but biblically, if there you know if there's a satanic influence, that's what it is. It it tells you that your worst impulses are okay, and you need to go through them. And the moment he gives his soul for the drink, he's giving his soul to the hotel. And in my opinion, that's why he's in that picture, because he's now part of that story. I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's just another part of the story of someone who went to that hotel and was turned into the absolute worst version of himself, you know, and that's why he's in the picture, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I do think there's a, you know... It's hard for me to, you know, you know, you know, I mean, <laughs> once again, I, I don't think Kubrick's subtle. I don't think he's subtle at all. You know, there's no subtlety to, I would give my soul for a drink, and then all of a sudden you have a drink in your hand. <laughs> there's nothing subtle about that, you know. Um, and so, to me, you know, I, I think that that, in my opinion, is why he's in the in the picture at the end. I don't think there's any type of, you know time loop or anything but i do think that when when delbert you know or when uh, delbert grady says to him you know like well you've always been the caretaker you know in my opinion what he's essentially stating to him is like you've always been like this you know because once again there's nothing new that's presented to jack it's not like you know he doesn't he doesn't and once again that's, that's what i find scary about is it. like he doesn't go after power he doesn't go after like influence or anything like that there's no like reason for him to do this. It's something that's always been there. And since it's always there, you know, to me the that's the that's the temptation, that's the satanic influence. That is what is scary. And that's why Delbert says, Well, you've always been the caretaker. When he's saying that, he's saying, like, look, man, you've always been one of us. You've always been this. You know? This is this is what you are, you know, and we're just, you know, pushing you in the right direction. Um, so that's how I see the ending. Okay. Um, so I do, I do realize that that, that does bring in some theological elements, but once again, you know, when a guy says I'd give my soul for a drink, I, I can't, I can't overlook that man. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. Um, we do need to wind down. Okay. But here's, here's, here's where I want to wind down. Okay. Um, the shining as, influence okay um you know al once again you're the expert here man um where do you see the shining as an influential uh you know influencing horror today you know or, or, do, or does it influence horror today right um i think you can see its influence in in kind of the the approach it takes and also the kinds of questions um it asks as well um i've said already to simply say oh this is a film that uses um psychological horror um it's kind of a very broad that doesn't say a whole lot 
So it's kind of unfair to say, oh, okay, yeah, every film that came after that uses some kind of psychological horror is, uh, <laughs> is totally a tribute to The Shining as well. But um, I think when you get into to the themes that come up and when you get into um, the, again, the types of questions that it asks, um, I think that... Um, think that the shining is one of the best films possibly the best horror film that has ever used uh, uh, the feeling of isolation as a form of horror um there are uh, a couple of space horror films that use it very well and then um you get to um the thing which gosh i can talk about the horror themes and subgenres of the thing for 18 podcasts. But, um, but um, other than that, it's one of the films that really utilize isolation as a form of horror really, really well. And I think there's a lot of films that um, have attempted to do it um, as well. Um, I think a majority of them have I'm up short, but um, I think also the questions that force us to ask as well, the questions that we ask in terms of, you know, uh, how much of an effect does our environment have on us? Um, you know, how much of what we do and who we are, how much of that is driven by uh, the things around us, by the things that we see and how much of it is, um, can be chalked up to who we are as individuals, how much of it can be ch- chalked up to the, you know, in in time decisions we make. Um, you know, the entire character of Jack Torrance as a character who, who uh, sees his own sins and his own flaws kind of magnified by... Um, where he's at and the things he's seeing and perceiving, uh, you know, that is, that is your stripped down origin of the Highland Hill franchise right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I'm being honest, you know, I don't think that's a franchise that usually comes up very often when talking about the shining, but that's why all of you choose to tune into fandom talk instead instead of all the other podcasts, because you get hot takes like that. Um, uh, but you know, honestly, that's a theme that is very much recurring in horror. It recurs in horror games or it occurs in horror films is this idea of Jack um, and how a lot of the things that scare us are things that we see in ourselves. Um, and, I don't by any means think that The Shining was the first film to ever do that or to ever try to make that observation. But I do think it's probably the film that makes the observation probably the best out of all of the horror films out there. So yeah, you have to get into the questions that ask and the themes that come up out of it. And um, I think those are definitely solid ones where you see a lot of that influence throughout history and also um, in a lot of today's films just kind of asking questions about, uh, you know, how much of what we see that scares us, how much of that is a part of us and how much of that is, is uh, a projection and, and things like that. 
so so modern movie that that does that then that that comes close or that you know tries to ask those questions is, is there one out there gotcha oh gosh um gosh there is um it's very hard to answer these on the spot i'm realizing but um i don't want to start you on a rant but you do know hereditary gets that quite a bit yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> And that's fine. <laughs> you can say that one if you want to. Um, but um, oh, I like uh, you, you can say that if you want to. Man. I think no. Um, if I did have to t- toss one out there, um, um, I think a very recent one that got a lot of attention, uh, very well deserved attention, because it's an excellent film by an excellent director, um, is Us by. Jordan Peele, uh, kind of the questions it raises, uh, because in Us, spoiler alert, in case you haven't even like seen the trailer for Us, because I'm not going to go any d- deeper than that, but uh, um, Us is based on the idea that there is um, a reflective um, human race, that there are copies of each individual that live underground and live this kind of um, darker, um, kind of screwed up reflections of our own lives. Um, and something that's stuck out to me with the horror um, in us, um, especially after you get to the ending, which I know the ending is kind of point of contention for a lot of people because it was weird. But um, a lot of the horror that comes from us is that um, uh, this idea is how much of ourselves are we afraid of? Um, how much of ourselves are we intimidated by, say, if if a few things in our lives went a different way? If we uh, had not had the same opportunities, if we hadn't had the same things ha- happen to us, what kind of alternate versions of ourselves, what kind of... T- t- darker, more screwed up parts of ourselves are we trying to escape and are hide. Um, It's that same kind of uh, horror through self-reflection that you see in Jack's character and The Shining kind of taken to a very broad scale um, with us by Horton Peele. Um, There are other films that kind of utilize that same idea and that same theme, but that's one that comes to mind right now yeah that was actually a i mean i was thinking jordan pill get out in us i think they're i think they're both asking uh they they've obviously got a uh, you know a broader uh you know uh concept of looking at race with both those movies mm-hmm. um but i do think they're they're asking very similar questions to the shining i think those are i think jordan pill in general is doing that i always look forward to what he's going to do uh i think oh, yeah. he's when your first two movies are Get Out and Us, you're you're doing, you're 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 batting a thousand, man. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, um, yeah, I, I, I think they're shining personally. Um, it is, um, it's probably my favorite horror movie. Um, I think it's near perfect uh, in in what it's trying to do. It's a very tight movie, um, you know, and uh, I think it's. Uh, I, you know, it, it's influenced 
I think is uh, is just seen almost daily. Anytime you have a, I mean, I think you're. I mean, for me, you know, when I was watching Haunting on Hill House, you know, which of mm-hmm. course is a Netflix series, but like mm-hmm. once again, it's that you know, it's that psych, you know, that you know, that influential house, you know, and that you know idea of like, you know, you know, like forcing you to embrace things that are already there and. You know, and, and stuff like that. I mean, there was a there's a lot in, in Haunting of Hill House that I think uh, The Shining is trying to do. Uh, of course, obviously, with Haunting Hill House, I think the characters are way more sympathetic. Uh, well, uh, way more sympathetic than Jack. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I think, you know, the, I, the movie's almost, it's almost got a ubiquitous influence at this point. You know, uh, I mean, if you were to put the five, you know, if, if you were to quote, you know, five, you know, moments or you know, like talk about five moments in horror movies, you know, it'd be like, you know, the shower scene in Psycho, you know, uh, and I mean, I, after that, I don't know if anything would be more ubiquitous than here's Johnny, you know, I mean, that's just, right. it's just a, you know, maybe Jaws, you gonna need a bigger boat, you know, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, just, I'm just saying like, you know, as far as like, you know, horror moments, I mean, that is, that's as, you know, classic a moment as any. Um, so I, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think it's a uh, fantastic movie. Uh, Al, anything, anything left you want to say on it, man? I'll give you last word. Um, not really, man. I think it's a, I think it's one, you s- said this already earlier, but I think it's one that everybody should, um, sh- should at least try. Even if you even if you aren't typically in horror films, uh, which by the way, if you aren't typically into horror films and you've gotten this far into the podcast, then hats off to you. And we appreciate yeah, exactly. We appreciate you listening <laughs> to us prattle on about something you don't care about. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely one that you need. Everyone should watch at least once uh, because it is, I mean, those themes and that imagery and stuff that has, that has persisted in history up until right now for very good reasons. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we all enjoy a really good story. And uh, The Shining is one of the 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 best um, stories uh, told in horror films. Um, it really is. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, it, it's a classic. And if you if you have not seen it, you're a horror fan. I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, you've, uh, you've, someone has failed to you. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Well, Al, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on and, and, and doing this. Obviously, like I said, you, uh, you are the, you are the horror guru at, uh, uh, the horror expert at Phantom oh. Correspondence. Uh, and, uh, like I said, we've got, you know, four more of these we want to do. Uh, definitely check out our Patreon, Phantom Correspondence Patreon. Um, it should be up by the time this is up. Uh, basically, uh, we're going to have, uh, you'll have the ability to vote. We'll probably, I mean, I don't, we'll probably put like a dollar amount on there. Um, but I've already asked Jake, like, you know, you don't have to, you know, we hear Phantom Cor- we're not really trying to get rich off Phantom Correspondence, or at least, I'm, you know, I mean, if we are, we're, we're failing miserably at it. Uh, so when you go to Patreon, you know, uh, vote, give us a dollar. Uh, but you can, of course, you know, 
opt out of that later on. Uh, and uh, but definitely let us know what you want to see. Like I said, we're gonna, Al, I probably am going to leave out to you, man. You just pick uh, some movies that you want. Um, you know, since I picked the first four, I'll give you the last one because I'm kind of like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can, you know, pick a few movies and we'll put those up for a vote and you'll be able to vote on what movie you want to hear, uh, me and Al talk about, uh, we will have a, another podcast up probably within a week after this one. Uh, the next movie we're doing, like I said, I'm not, I'm not giving them away. Uh, you know, uh, well, I mean, not, you know, there's really, because it's going to say it on there, so there's really no reason. Okay, so like it's going to say The Shining on this, so it's not like there's going to be a surprise. Uh, <laughs> the next movie we'll do will be The Witch, um, which I Woo! think is, that could be interesting. Um, I love The Witch so you know, much. And I, and, you know, and I, I, I like yes. The Witch, uh, but I do think there's a lot to talk about there. Um, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so that'll be the next one yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll dig into. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to that. So, Al, once again, thank you. Uh, as always, I want to remind you, uh, as we always sign off, we always tell everybody that fandom is for everyone. And uh, we're, as always, eternally grateful that you listen to us and support us. Thank you once again. Y'all have a good morning, afternoon, or night, or wherever you're at.